I think the rule that the showrunner can't talk directly to the actors is a little silly because, you know, like we're the only ones who know the entire season arc. So it did feel like all of a sudden I was like, oh, I can just talk to them and tell them what I'm thinking. It just felt like, a, you know, everything that I was already doing, but now getting to set the show, right. which was so much fun. Right. And right. yeah. And um, there was a moment where I was like, we have six people at sunset, you know, one or. And I was like, is this stupid? <laughs> This feels really dumb. But yeah, I really, I definitely thought that I would just do things simply. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't. And I was like, so annoying. I like got, I had, I had like cranes on two days and then I had like an overhead shot on another day. And then at one point to the AD, I was like, is this the biggest crane anyone's used on the show? Like, yeah, <laughs> I'm like, we can never use one that's bigger. Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman is a podcast on directing for anybody that's quite simply ever watched anything. Pete converses with a wide range of fellow directors, writers, actors, showrunners, producers, executives, and more on a journey to determine just what makes a good director and why we'll always need stories. Visit www.petechapman.com to get your official director's chair wear, hoodies, hats, jackets, mugs, and other swag, and learn more about your host. All right, what's up, people? Welcome to episode 45 of Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman, starring Ellen Rappaport the creator and showrunner of Mix, a wonderful show that began on HBO Max and has now moved to Stars, where it will be available for season two. But before we get into that and how that happened and our lovely conversation with Ellen, let me just catch you up on all things round here. So what are all things round here? At the time of this intro, I'm doing this on Monday, May 1st, a month away from my birthday. Pretty crazy. The year is flying by. I wrapped Interior Chinatown on Friday. I had an awesome time on that show. About a 10-day shoot, 80% of which was on location. Really proud of the work that we did on that, and I can't wait for folks to see it. Jimmy O. Yang, who was the star of the show, playing Willis Wu. I think people are going to be really surprised to see what he can do. And on top of that, the other stars are Chloe Bennett, Sullivan Jones, Lisa Gilroy, and Chris Pang. I had a little bit of a bottle episode, so those are the people I worked with primarily. Charlie Yu wrote the book, New York Times bestseller, really great book. And really great to have a, a very smart piece that kind of tackles the portrayal of Asian Americans in American media while also being super creative and, and doing it in a way that I think folks are going to be able to, I hate that I hate to have to say that, but be able to absorb. And I think it's really smart how he's designed the show. And the episode I got is another one of those cool, kind of unique episodes within a, within the season that I hope catches people off guard and uh, makes them say hell of a show. It was shot by my buddy Mike Berlucci, whom you can listen to on the pod as well. And I'm really happy about that show. So I'll probably begin cutting that in the next week or so. I never can remember the specific DGA, you know, rules, but I do think it's like five days or maybe six days after your last day of principal photography that you get an editor's cut. And then, as I've said before, you have two days on a half hour show as director to do a director's cut and four days on a one-hour show to do a director's cut. So a little bit of inside baseball there for y'all. Not sure if everybody has been here for the pod before. I'm sure we've got a few new people who are maybe starting on episode 45 and they'll work their way back. But this show is a mixture of interview and, and update and craft and just trying to you know go behind the veil, open the curtain on these individual jobs in in Hollywood, film and TV specifically, and also the journeys that people take to get to where they are in their careers. So that's 
what that is or that's what this is, right? And today, so the life of a director, I guess that's kind of what I'm imparting right now. Today, I started day one on Mere Mortals, which is a spinoff from Mythic Quest for Apple TV. And so I went right to prepping, diving into location scouting, meetings, concept meetings and all that. And so, you know, it's kind of like turning off all of the creative decisions and, and, and immersion that was interior Chinatown for, you know, almost a month. And now moving into a new place, which is clean slating my mind to dive into another show. So that's the word. I'll be prepping that show and editing Interior Chinatown while prepping. That's another thing that happens quite often when you're working back-to-back episodes. But it is a blessing and one for which I am not complaining. The other thing on the agenda right now is... It is 5.09 p.m. at the time of this intro recording on May 1st. And as of 12.01 tomorrow, so one click past midnight, I believe we may have some, we should have some idea of what the Writers Guild is going to do in its negotiation with the studios regarding a potential strike. So I hope that a strike could be avoided, but I hope more that the writers get what they deserve. And, you know, there's a level of parity and, and just kind of, you know, fairness in what those contracts are that acknowledge the shifts and changes in the industry over the past 15 years. So fingers crossed, we shall see. I'll probably stay awake and see if there's any kind of announcement at, at 12.01, 12.02. I don't know, really know how that works. The prior strike in 07 or 08, I was not. In the business, I was a little tangential to it, so I don't really have a, have a direct relationship with any precedent, but we shall see. And in the meantime, obviously, let's dive right into episode 45 of Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman, starring Ellen Rappaport. Roll sound. Speed. The interview. Take one. All right. So, Ellen, obviously, I had the great pleasure of working with you on Minx season two, but we didn't sit down and, 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 oh, actually, I think we met because I interviewed God back in before season one. We uh, tried to hire you for season one, and it was a real you snooze, you lose situation <laughs> because we were like, let's hire everyone at once. And then that was stupid mm. because you were then no longer, I think you were doing the flight attendant, a bunch of flight attendants, maybe that. Yeah. Yeah. So you were no longer available. So that gonna, was my mistake. That's actually, I want to, I'm making a note because I want to come back to that, to that hiring strategy, like all at once or, or on a rolling basis, but. Not um, my idea. <laughs> <laughs> How did you, well, where are you from? Let's start with the, with the basics. Oh, I'm mostly from Chicago. I was born in Russia. I'm a Russian immigrant. My parents moved here when I was four. So. Oh. We lived in a bunch of places because my dad was redoing his medical school training, which is probably a good idea from like Russia. So we lived in New Jersey and Minnesota, and then I mostly grew up in Chicago. So was it, oh, so by that you mean like, like you kind of landed in New Jersey and then found your way to Chicago? We, I don't know how we ended up in New Jersey. We were here. I just learned we were here on a refugee visa because we were, I guess, Jewish and Russia was bad news at the time, or still is. And yeah, they, my parents redid, they had to, they were already doctors in Russia, but then they had to redo like six years of training. So they started out in New Jersey. Then my dad was able to do a cardiology fellowship in Minnesota, but it was two, it was like two years instead of three. And then my grandparents who were also in Russia ended up and moved out to Chicago. So then everyone had a Chicago reunion, the suburbs Got of Chicago. And I must ask, as a, as a guy from South Orange, where in New Jersey were you? We were in Morristown. I know it But well. I barely remember. My husband mm-hmm. is from Edison, so I've actually spent now time in New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. It's probably raining there now, too. 
because everywhere it is rain. All right. So then you, you land in, you end up in Chicago. What age are you like at that point where you're kind of like settling into life in the Midwest? Maybe 10, mm-hmm. 10 years old. Yeah. Can you identify like the first time you were like, that story impacts me or I, I, I want to be involved in some, whether hobby or, or professional way with storytelling? Honestly, I just didn't even know that it was a job that people had. People don't do that in the Midwest. At least they didn't. I was always just like a big reader, giant nerd. Always had my head in a book. Was like writing poetry about all the books that I would read. I was really like so sweet. I don't know what happened to me. So, I mean, always. I just always had my head in a book. But it just never occurred to me that that was something you could do. So... I mean, I went to law school. I was a lawyer. Like I just, nobody did anything creative that Mm. in my town. I mean, maybe they did, but I just wasn't aware. But it was was very much like lawyer, doctor, business person. So was lawyer something like, so that's kind of what you're saying. It was kind of the thing to do or were you like really passionate about pursuing law? I just, I'll be honest. I liked law shows, which should have been a sign. I was Mm. like, I know that it won't be 100% like Allie McBeal, but I was like, it'll be 10% like Allie McBeal and the rest will just be a job. But it was 0% like Allie McBeal. Like there's no part in Allie McBeal where she's crying in her office because she's pulling like all-nighters to help Viacom with a 10-year-old tax litigation. Right. It was not, it was not. I feel like my purpose in the world is to not, it's just make people not go to law school. And in fact, <laughs> here's so your chance. <laughs> I don't go to law school. I was in last, uh, you have a passion for law, but no one should. But I was, I was, I found like an old computer and I had written like a book proposal called like, don't go to law school, which is just like a very, I, I can't imagine who the audience is. It's so stupid. But I really, I really, I really want people to know that. That's, I feel like that book would sell. Because how many people, <laughs> like, 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 so you went to Harvard Law, right? Yeah. So, so like, how many people would you say are there and they're like, this is really the dream? And how many are like, oh, like lawyer, doctor, like that's a, that's a good pursuit. I'll build a, you know family and some financial stability and, you know, be a pillar of my community. Yeah. I think a lot of people are there out of default. I mean, maybe this is a self-selecting group, but I don't have a single friend from law school who's still a practicing lawyer. Mm. I do have a friend who's on the Supreme Court of California. So that's cool. That feels like a cool, yeah. And (laughs) hopefully that that won't be useful, you know, (laughs) but good to know. Yeah, get, call me if you need anything. That's awesome. So, all right. So when did you, when did the bug hit or when did you acknowledge the bug and, and make a pivot to entertainment, let's say? I acknowledged the bug. I had, we had a, a third year paper requirement, which is what's supposed to be a legal thesis. And I had a friend the year above me who had gotten permission to write a novel his name is Mohsen Hamid, and he is actually like an incredible novelist now. And so I knew that it was a possibility. So I got permission to write a, you know, a courtroom drama. It was so bad. It was, it was, it was, it was terrible. But it, it kind of forced me to sit down and write something long. And once I did that, once I was like, I, I don't know that I ever would have done it unless I was, I, I had to do it or else I wouldn't have graduated. So I put myself in a, in a situation where I had to do it. So once I did that, I realized like, I mean, that's not my genre, but I really enjoyed it. And I guess I was just deluded into thinking it could be a career. It w- mm-hmm. I was so stupid. I think if I had done any research or put any like real thought into it, I would have realized it wasn't viable. But yeah, then I went to a law firm in New York and continued to write. And then I ended up selling a screenplay and they wouldn't let me take a sabbatical from the law firm. Or maybe they would, they just didn't give me an answer, which I feel like is the same as saying no. 
But right. eventually I just left because I had to come out here to work so, on it with a director. That's amazing. I, 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 I know. Wanna, I want to backtrack a little bit because I'm, I'm wondering at the moment when you write this procedural, like, did you, how did you know how to format that? You know what it I mean? Didn't. Yeah. Like what did it, what did it look like? Was it just like a word document or did you get a, a, a software program? I don't think I spend for final draft because mm-hmm. I was like, I don't want to spend the $70 in case this doesn't work. I probably, I think I found screenplays online and just figured it out. And also my professors didn't know what it was supposed to look like either. The right. only note that, that the professor gave me was that I got an A, by the way. Congratulations. The only note, thank you so much. The only note that I got is she said, fancy lawyers don't put their diplomas on the wall because it's like too thirsty, basically. Hmm. Like to brag about where you went to school. Interesting. So they don't I wonder do if that. that. I wonder if that holds up. I wonder if that if that may be true, right? But in the world of like TV and film, is it like, well, fuck it, diploma goes on the wall because it says lawyer, just like French bread says you went to the store or like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, all these little it's, movie cliches. It's definitely, it's in every lawyer show. But yeah. I mean, there were, those are all completely inaccurate. There's nothing accurate about a lawyer show. Yeah. You're, you know, especially... Yeah. It, I mean, they move so quickly. That's what people don't realize. Everything takes forever. Right. right. Years and years. You know, kind of, it's kind of like good, a good preparation for Hollywood. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, the nice thing about it is that it was just so soul sucking and terrible that. Like, I don't I don't let things get me down, you know, because I know it could have been right. so much worse. Right. So you got the A in the class. And I did. Then, and then you continued. And that, and I, I wonder too, like you get that early positive reinforcement, like it's like a little, uh, just enough of a push to keep going. Mm-hmm. And then how many things did you write before you sold what you sold? And was that a feature? I was a feature. And I think I did like, it wasn't the next one, but it was the one after that I sold. That's pretty amazing. Um, I know. And at the time, it just seemed like, why is everything taking so long? But now I realize that it was incredible. But I definitely didn't appreciate it. I was like, finally. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, somebody has seen my brilliance. Super obnoxious. So yeah, it was just a couple. I I think by that time, I had final draft. But it was only a couple of years later. It was really stupid. Was it in the world of of Law and Order or like? No. Yeah. What was it about? It was. Oh it's a romantic comedy, and it made no sense. It it wasn't great. It had a voice. I truly can't remember what happened. At there, and then it was like somebody just tries to track down all her ex-boyfriends. And I don't know, I, I truly don't know why. I probably didn't even know why. It wasn't good. And then like I wrote another one that was a sorority one. I don't know. I haven't mm-hmm. looked at them in years. But that brought you bad. to LA? It brought me to LA, ended up moving out here. And here I am. <laughs> <laughs> so what year is that around? Like in the early 2000s, I guess. Mm-hmm. So that's like an interesting time to sell because the kind of spec script craze was wrapping up around that. Like the like the, the right. world of like, oh, 500,000 for this script from, you know, Jane Doe or, you know, a buddy of mine did like a, a half a million against a million for a spec mm-hmm. script, you know? which was like, I think it was Michael Ovitz's company at the time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So like to enter at that time, like what was, what was the landscape like for you as a writer who was now beginning to, you know, get these projects out there? I mean, I think that it was a lot of like, somebody would buy something and then they would leave the company <laughs> and be fired. And I was like, oh, this is not... As easy as it used to be a year ago. And so I didn't really do stuck scripts Mm -hmm. after that. It was more like writing assignments or rewrites. 
that kind of stuff. You know, I sold like a million TV pilots after that. Mm. But yeah, so do people still write specs? I, you know, successfully, I, I guess not. I guess not. I guess that I wonder, and you tell me what you think. Like, it feels like the new spec is like getting a mostly positive con- confirmation that you have the access to the rights to something <laughs> and, mm-hmm. then, and then walking in the room and pitching it. And mm-hmm. then, you know, but it's not, I don't think people are writing the script at all anymore. Right. Like it's really? just not that, not that world. Um, I don't know. I feel like a little checked out of features just because I've been doing TV for a little while. But yeah, I think I, I, I don't, I, yeah, it seems like those, those big paydays are gone. Are gone. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a, like a, a great, great way to make a living. So how do you get into TV? Right. Because you, you did the Jamie Kennedy experiment. Was that your first I think TV that was work. the first thing I did. And then I wrote Jamie's book with him, uh-huh. which was super fun. And I'm trying to think. That wasn't, yeah. And then we created a reality show together, which was bonkers, which was really fun. And then, you know, I can't remember how I got my first TV job. I think it was just like off a general meeting and TV was just, it felt like, I don't know. I never had those big, crazy, high concept ideas where it's like, right. she's a female firefighter. It's legally blonde in the world of firefighting. Right, you know? right, right, right. And so TV seemed like a better vehicle for kind of smaller, I guess, stuff mm-hmm. that just wasn't so big and, I don't know, fart jokes. Right. So... I'm looking at the the research that my talented assistant does so that I have like a little bird's eye view of, of of the work that you've done over the past couple decades. And I, I guess, I think there's an interesting opportunity here because I haven't had too many like writers on. Mm-hmm. And and obviously now you're, you're wearing multiple hats because I know that we'll talk about directing, which you did in Minx season two. But like what, describe the life of a writer. And I, I guess the the choice for you would be to pick like at which point in your career you want to describe it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I, I imagine it was probably er- much different when you were doing those early TV shows versus like, mm-hmm. you know, the last, you know, five years, like bringing something like Minx right. to the world, like. And maybe maybe that's the question. Maybe like, what's the life of a writer like trying to get it, bring a shepherd a show to sure. network? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's a good question because it feels like it kind of has everything. I mean, mm-hmm. I think the life of a writer, even right now, as we're finishing post, is I'm trying to figure out what my next idea is and what the next thing I'm going to do is while we're waiting for Minx to come out. And it, it's just a lot of, I think, sitting in a room and like beating your head against a wall and reading everything and submissions come in and they're generally not great. And, you know, just so many meetings, meetings. I mean, a lot of them are now Zooms, but just meeting people, you know, I think with features, I did a lot of chasing open writing assignments, which I'm not sure is a great use of people's time, Mm. especially not now. but. Yeah, it's just like a lot of trying to figure out what you want to do and then staring at a blank page and trying to make it work and just truly endless waiting to, you know, I'm trying to think how long it took us just to pitch mix. I mean, from the t- that one's weird because I had the idea and then I went to write a feature. But I mean, from the time that I had the pitch ready to us pitching Lionsgate to us being out pitching networks was probably six or seven months. Right. For no real reason other than this is a good time to pitch people. This is not a good time to pitch people. So yeah, a lot of like blank page and, you know, that part feels like suicide inducing to me. Like it's the worst. Um, Easy, but you know, 
But what was the, what was the impetus for the there idea? There were times like I rented an office, and I just remember being like, I could just, I could be doing anything during these hours of the day, and no one would know what I was doing. Like my husband wouldn't know what I was doing. I just disappear to an office every day, and I don't talk to anyone except like the nice building landlord. I don't see anyone. Like I could be. Like I could be a spy. I could be leading a double life. <laughs> Nobody knows what I'm doing. I could be doing anything. I could have written 50 pages. I could have written nothing. It's really weird. Right. What right. was your question? Yeah. Was your no, question. no, it's awesome. I mean, that's, I think that's a, that's a, an interesting and cool thing for folks to hear, right? Because it, it's somewhat nebulous, but at the same time, like things are happening and even sometimes looking out the window, like you're you're actually working, right? Like, <laughs> like you're thinking I about think it. So I think like, point. yeah, you, you you're thinking about it all the time. Walks, shower, yeah, you know. So yeah, but it, it it's a weird little nether world of like deciding what you're going to write about, and then when you're writing it, kind of like being consumed by it, and then. I guess once you sell something and there's at least deadlines, <laughs> which kind of mm-hmm. makes it better in terms of like you're accountable to somebody and you need to hand things in and then you probably want to get paid. Right. So it would behoove you to hand stuff in. So yeah, it's like, it's pretty solitary really to that part of it, developing and then making something is much better. <laughs> right. So where did, where did the... I- what was the impetus for the idea? Um, I read an article that was like an oral history. I can't remember. I read so many. It was either Viva or Playgirl, but eventually I read them both. And I immediately thought, oh, this is such a comedy idea because I hadn't realized that all these feminist magazines, I mean, sorry, all these like male porn magazines were actually feminist endeavors and, the, you know, they were run by a mixture of feminists and pornographers. And I mean, it was just so confusing to me, (laughs) just that conceptually, because I had seen Playgirl and it just seemed like straight out porn, like bad porn. And then I started buying, you know, but like the article, there's so much like from these initial articles that ended up in the show, just like these, you know, fierce debates about erection, which I, you know, just so taken aback by. But, you know, once I ordered a bunch of these vintage magazines and started really researching it. It did, I realized that, you know, they were trying to kind of provide this place for women to really learn about things, you know, learn about political issues, be able to ask for advice. And one of those things was sexuality, which really had been ignored in a way. And so it was really kind of, you know, it was kind of like the first step, I guess, to some form of equality, which was just so basic. It was like, men can see us naked. Now we can see men naked. But it, it was kind of like a stepping stone to other things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so from, from that point, do you did you immediately have a protagonist in mind? Is, is it like a inspired by kind of deal? Or is it just kind of an amalgamation of, of women that you felt would like existed in that time with a particular philosophy or point of view? It is not legally inspired by anything. <laughs> no. You know, there was talk of like, should we get life rights for anyone? Should we do the real story? But the thing is, the real stories of those magazines are kind of convoluted because they're real. And mm-hmm. it felt like, you know, the the re- what did what what stood out is that there was a man at the helm of each of these magazines, right? And mm-hmm. so it was always like a male publisher trying to you know, make money off women's sexuality, which I thought was interesting. But, you know, the women who ran them didn't feel like clean protagonists in a word. Like, you know, the the first editor-in-chief of Playgirl was, she was the, like, she was basically like a freelancer who they promoted. And so she didn't even want it. And then, you know, she grew to want it. But I was like, okay, this isn't like a great protagonist. Right, right. The reluctant- she was kind of like, what a kid. I'd love to do it. Right. And then, you know, in Viva, it was like Bob Guccione's girlfriend ran the magazine. And I'm like, well, that doesn't really feel clean. It feels like it just wants to be, you know, a real dyed-in-the-wool feminist. But yeah. it just took a lot of research and kind of, you know, figuring yeah. out what worked and what didn't work and what 
what the tone was, because I do think there's a version of this that's a lot more serious or mm. that's like much campier. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I think the show does that very well, like walking this particular tone tightrope. And then also there's like a nice like two steps forward, one step back for her mm-hmm. because, you know, coming to be able to share her thoughts in the in this venue mm-hmm. <laughs> is such a contradiction and almost mm-hmm. it's at complete odds with what she wants to do. But then it's mm-hmm. having an impact on on an audience that wouldn't get it in another way. It's it's right. It's pretty much like life. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I mean, I think everyone struggles with that. It's very much like, is it commerce or is it art? And how do you get your message out? And, mm-hmm. you know, do you have to dilute it? And probably you do. Right. You know, do you have to, right. do you have to kind of wrap things up in a little bow, you know, to make them palatable for people? Right. Yes. And yeah. I mean, I and, think you do. Such, yeah, it's so weird. It's like, you know, I often like the conclusion of of a show or a season is always where a lot of the debate comes up, right? It's like how much how much do you have to hang a lantern on something for the audience to get it? And mm-hmm. usually there's going to be a couple factions involved, the network, the studio who like want it absolutely clear mm-hmm. you know and and i often wonder how much i think audiences are smarter than they they are they are being given an opportunity to be mm-hmm. uh, but then i do understand why folks are like well let's just not take a chance and, <laughs> and make sure yeah. that it lands so it's tough yeah no absolutely i mean when i watch network tv i'm like oh wow there's really like a lack of trust for the audience in many ways um mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. yeah at the same time you know, I don't mind making things clear. I find it annoying when things are too opaque. But yeah, it's like a it's a constant debate. Yeah, I think your show does that well, though. I feel like that, like you have to watch. You know what I mean? Like you have right. to watch, and the, and the and the information is there. There's nothing that you know. I think you would miss, but it's not like you said about network, where it's like there's there's no trust in the audience. I think that's a it's a tough a tough line to walk. Yeah. I mean, I try to do that, find that in, you know, with the directors too. I think, I think we have like the directing, I think compensates for that sometimes with the performances Mm -hmm. and we're getting that from the performances in a way that would be cheesy, I guess, to get from the writing. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. It does. I, I want to I want to live in this process a little bit longer. So, what what is for those who don't know or haven't done it before? Like, what is that process like pitching? Like, when you're going to get Lionsgate involved, like, what are the pieces you have to kind of put together, and what is that? Sure. What is demanded of of the writer to successfully walk that walk those coals? I mean, I haven't pitched a show for a while, but I think it's it's much more intense now. So. It's different for every show, but when I went in with this show, I believe I kind of pitched out, I mean, I kind of did an overview of the world that we were entering just because it it wasn't something that was familiar to people. I think I pitched out at least like the first act kind of just so, because it was a good way to introduce some of the characters. And then I pitched like season arcs for pretty much all the characters emotionally. I believe I, yeah, I mean, I think I pitched out like the plot of the first season-ish, but so much of that ended up changing. And really like the themes and why I felt like it was resonant now. But now I think people are making, writers are making pitch decks and, you know, doing so much more going in with full multimedia presentations. And is that- seems uh, annoying. In this case, was it was it you or had you had, did you have any partners yet on the project or is solely like creator um, of the show? I was the creator of the show. It's my idea. I pitched it to a bunch of producers that had overalls. And I had known Jesse Henderson, who was running Paul Feig's TV company at the time because I had worked on a script that she had brought me when she was at Chernin on the feature side. 
So I pitched it to her and then she got Paul on board and then Dan Mignante, who's an EP on the show. So we kind of worked on the pitch together. I think I brought her more of like, this is the idea and these are like archetypes that we could do. And so so it's kind of started from there. And then as always happens, she left the company (laughs) in the middle, but it was... And so you get the, so you get a studio on board and then it's taking the pitch out to networks after that. Taking the pitch out to networks. We pitched it as both an hour and a half hour, depending where we were going because some places didn't do hours. I felt like it couldn't be a funny hour, but yeah, not every place did hours. And then... Sarah Aubrey was the only one who bought it. I thought it was such a good idea. It was a good pitch. We brought so many vintage playgirls and gave them out. What was so cool is like all the articles mm-hmm. were like, oh, well, this could have been written now. You right. know, women are still dealing with the same problems. But yeah, I mean, I had, let's say a half hour pitch. I memorized it. I wrote it all out. Not everyone does that. It kind of depends on, you know, if you're a good extemporaneous speaker. I'm not. So I just, Mm. I just wrote the whole thing and memorized it and then pretended it wasn't memorized. And I was like, oh my God, I'm just coming up with this joke right now. There's no feeling that's (laughs) worse than the feeling the second time you pitch something with your producing partners there when you're like, Mm. this is the moment that they realize I'm a liar and a hack. (laughs) (laughs) That joke that I pretended was off the cuff was not off the cuff right. and it was all planned. And like, there's just like, there's just such a shame for me where I'm like, um, now you know, now you know my shame. <laughs> so yeah, it was just like a real dog and pony show. And I mean, Paul was so funny. He was in all the pitches and just the best partner because it started out, you know, he'd do the intro. He's like, yeah, I remember when Playgirl came to my town and it was, you know, created such a stir. And then by the end, he was like, Playgirl is what made me a feminist. Like his personal connection (laughs) to Playgirl became stronger and stronger and stronger as more people said no. Right, right, right. It's such a living, breathing thing, the pitch. And, and, And it does demand of you like this sort of performance art, you know, like if you're... Like you're like the representative for this whole idea and the whole world. And if it's going to, you know, be anyone to, to for them to attach onto, it's going to be about you as an ambassador, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what sucks about Zoom pitching now is that, well, first of all, like I can tell when people are checking their emails, just like I know mm-hmm. when you're doing it. Like that, I, that is obvious. <laughs> Stop it. And then... You know, it's just not the same. I feel like you could like pick up a vibe in the room and see what people responded to and then kind of tailor the pitch to what they were saying and like read people's energy. I mean, it's very much a performance and the Zoom aspect is super annoying. Right. The only only pro I found in the few pitches I've done with Zoom was that like, I, I don't know if I could memorize as well as you. And I would have my script like on the on the screen and just kind of subtly be like scrolling. It's not just subtle. Like, to make sure I'm. It's <laughs> not subtle. They know you're doing it. It's fine. Yeah. I would never memorize something if I had, was doing it on Zoom ever. Not in a million years. I would just pretend. But like, I think it's obvious. I think that teleprompter. Some, some, do some people tele- do the, the flat out read it. Like a tele- yeah, there's teleprompter apps. That that's what I need. Yeah, yeah. I have a friend uh, staying with us actually, who's an actor, and and we watched her audition setup, and it was crazy. It was like using our TV as a teleprompter, so the script could be scrolling and maintaining a clean eye line and doing. And wow, you know, actors get like ten pages, mm-hmm. and they're like four p.m. Friday. <laughs> you know, get your tape in which is oh, man. outlandish. And I was like, yo, this it looks like, you know, it looks like you're off book. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was, I was, I was super impressed with it. it it's, it's like the, everybody has these new things they have to master yeah. now. Like the actor has to become a production company. Yeah. Um, 
No, it sucks. I think I miss in-person casting and actually being able to talk to people because, you know, I think that's, I mean, that's the most important thing, right? Is whether they can kind of adjust the performance and take direction, you know, especially for the big parts. But I found myself like, when we would cast people, I was like, unless it was perfect on a tape, Mm -hmm. like I wasn't doing it because I was like, I had no idea whether they can adjust. Right, right. Like, yeah, but if they can kind of zone in on something that is perfect for you, then, you know, at least I have that. Yeah, but like, I think the expectation, I mean, it's just not fair. I think to actors, like they're not getting a great shot at stuff. Yeah, I totally agree. Hey, I'm Mike Berlucci, and you're listening to Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman. Transitions, a director's journey and motivational handbook is Pete Chapman's book from Michael Weasley Productions. What started in 1993 has been a marathon of persistence and creative pivots, transitioning from indie filmmaker to teaching at NYU's acclaimed film school, to running a production company, to directing television and commercials and ultimately eyeing a return to the feature films that gave him a start. A mixture of how-to, self-help, and inspiration. This book is for any person targeting a successful career in the creative arts. Transitions, a director's journey and motivational handbook from Michael Weezy Productions is available on Amazon and anywhere else you get your books. Don't forget about your local mom and pop shops, people. So what was it? So when once the the show went into production, like what were what were the things that you were? What was unexpected to you? Like what were some of the wins? What were some of the things that you're like, wow, I did not expect this would be part of my job. Like what was? However, you kind of would like to talk about the first season. I, I'd love yeah. to hear. I mean, before we did the first season, I did the pilot, which was I feel like a big learning experience because I was so used to features. And so people would like write in, eat, write emails about, I don't know, let's hire, do you like this actor? Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then I would like, it would get to me. I'm like, oh, I get to decide. <laughs> like they're waiting for me to answer. <laughs> I was like, okay, great. Let's hire this person. So it took a minute to be like, I am in charge of this. But I thought that was great. That was a really fun part of it. I guess I just didn't realize that Production would just be like a rolling series of disasters that you have to manage and just be okay with it. So I think I got pretty zen pretty quickly. But yeah, it was like, right, of course, you're just like, suddenly there's 200 people working for you. There's going to be human drama that comes up all the Mm -hmm. time. And you just kind of have to really figure out how to roll with it. But, you know, I enjoy I really enjoyed the process, to be honest. It felt like just a different part of my brain that I got to use. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's just such a privilege to be like, what if we have a duck? And then like three people roll in the next day with like <laughs> ducks for you. You know, you don't yeah. get that as a writer. Yeah. Like yeah. it's intoxicating. <laughs> it's an incredible. And I don't know. I think I did a good job of hiring people. So... That's the one thing that I was like, I I didn't make a lot of mistakes in terms of my department head. Mm. That's awesome. I mean, that, that's I casting too. In a casting, way. sure. Yeah, I think we did a good job of casting. And I think I just did a good job of fighting the battles that I needed to fight when people had different ideas. Because at the end of the day, you're going to be held responsible either way. So... If you could paint a picture of like the the types of decisions that you were making episode to episode as showrunner sure. like in just the various departments and, and categories, like what does that look like? I mean, what everything. What is incoming for you? I, I think, yeah. honestly, everything. Because so much, unfortunately, gets done without the directors because, you know, people's prep time starts what, six, what do we have, a six-day prep, five-day prep? Yeah. So a lot of the major decisions are getting done ahead of time. So the locations, 
you know, in many cases, we had to pick before the director got there. The production design, you know, I tried to, like, I wanted to wait for people when I could because, like, I specifically hired people who I thought were really good. So, like, I wanted that input. But but whether alone or with a director and other producers, I feel like, you know, everything, wardrobe, casting, production design, set design, locations, hair and makeup would all come through me. Right. What else? Right. What other department heads do we have? <laughs> Picture cards. Uh, well, then there's... Uh... VFX, you know, all the various budgets, right? Like just managing, managing the money on top of everything. I mean, that was mostly the line producer's jobs, to be honest. I feel like he would just come to me and say, we can't afford, like, he actually, we had a wonderful line producer who didn't tell me very often when we couldn't afford stuff. (laughs) Like he would just figure out how to make it work. But but yeah, a lot of times you're asked to make script changes because you can't afford to shoot that many locations or, you know, that many slugs. Like, how can you condense things? What can you do to kind of try to tell the story with a specific amount of money? Right. And when you so we've talked about hiring and, and decisions like what's your what's your director hiring process? Because um, now I want to give this kind of give a little information to the directors who listen and kind of you know, may not understand what you're considering when figuring out who will be on that roster for a season? I mean, I think it's different for every show. But I mean, for our show, we largely went off personal recommendations because Mm. I, I just think that's like the best way to do it. And if they had worked on shows that I liked and thought were in the same kind of tonal family and had bigger budgets, then I would watch episodes Mm -hmm. and, you know, make sure that I liked them. And so I think it would start with that. And just like people whose work that I personally liked, you know, like whether it was like an indie movie of somebody that I had seen years ago, or, you know, they did a, a lot of episodes on a show I liked. Or, you know, sometimes it was like a recommendation from the cast. Mm-hmm. And then we would have a Zoom meeting. And I mean, I think the meeting, like, I, I guess it's just to check out people's vibe and make sure they're not, they don't, they're not awful. <laughs> I mean, like people say crazy <laughs> things yeah. that you would be I shocked call by. It the- it's almost like the, in this, I don't mean this in any offensive way, but it, I feel like it's like the crazy check. You yes. know, it's kind I of like- I didn't want to are, say that. I'm so are, glad you are, said it. Yeah. <laughs> like, are you going to like, I mean, look, the amount of time you spend with each other in, in Village or just, you know, as throughout the process of prep, production and post, it's just not fun to be around awkwardness or like people who don't have a real- emotional intelligence of like how to navigate personalities. Like it's all, it all, you know, I, I, I would rather when, when I've hired, I'd rather work with someone with less credits, but a better sense of community than someone with, you know, horrible sense of community and, you know, a 20 page IMDB scroll, you know, cause that's 100%. reveal itself. I think one weird thing that people do is like criticize the show. And I'm like, I don't, I, I, I have a network like, like studio. I don't need notes. Yes. And I'm like, wow. Just then just don't. It's not a good idea. Yeah. I've had people say crazy things to me or they just have like bad juju coming off them. I don't know. You can just tell when someone sucks. <laughs> have you ever had and i'm I, i'm trying to you know well you answer if, if you feel it's answerable <laughs> you know have you have you ever had someone where you thought it was going to be like you were kind of like i i think we're in the we're almost there and then you have the zoom and you're like mm, nah that that's that's not going to work out yeah i mean yeah 
there have been times when I was excited about someone and then I just, I don't know how to explain it. I just didn't like them. But, and it happens with everyone, editors, you know, directors. I don't know. And it, it, it might not be that they're terrible people. It might just be that like your personalities don't match up. And I think that, you know, mm-hmm. like they have to be somebody that you feel like you can have dinner with because they're taking the stuff that you wrote or the writers who work in the room wrote under you and interpreting it and putting it on the screen. Right. And so I just think like, it's not just like, a, do I want my life to be okay for two weeks? It's like, is this person on the same page as me generally? Right. You know, and so I feel right. like it's actually a creative Agreed. thing. Agreed. But yeah, I mean, most people don't say crazy things, but some do. Yeah. But like, yeah, people will like, I think somebody (laughs) said something about like the cinematography and like trying to get it more refined. And I was like, no, 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 don't say that. I was like, I like how it looks. Right, right. Hired these people. It was like a director with not a lot of credits either. And I'm like, what are you doing? So is that why you decided to direct in season two? <laughs> what, how, what was the, what I, made you decide to wear that hat? To be honest, I think what made me want to direct in season two was the experience of having movies made by directors. Mm. And I was like, I don't know that I like the experience of having something that I wrote reinterpreted by somebody in a way that I disagree with. So I was like, if I ever wrote a feature again, I think I would want to direct it. I mean, with with like the show, it's been different. I've had like really great luck with people. And at the end of the day, like I get the cutback. So I'm not like super worried, you know, and like the actors kind of like know the roles that they're playing at this point. Mm -hmm. But I was like, I would just love to have this experience to know if it's like really something that I like. And it just felt like a, I don't know. It just felt like it would be really fun. Like an extension of my job with a crew that I'd been working on for a while and actors who I know really well. And it felt like kind of a a safe space to try it out. Did you enjoy it? I loved it. Awesome. It was so much more, it was much more fun than writing. <laughs> it felt, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, I think the rule that the showrunner can't talk directly to the actors is a little silly because, you know, like we're the only ones who know the entire season arc. So mm-hmm. it did feel like all of a sudden I was like, oh, I can just talk to them and tell them what I'm thinking. It just felt like, you know, everything that I was already doing, but now getting to set the show, which was so much fun. Right. Right. Yeah. And um, had so many cranes. It was really, I really was like, I'm going for it. Like I I saw your IG page. I was like, that, that, that that looks like a 50 foot cream hanging over that. It was 62 feet. 62 feet. feet. I was like, I looked at it. I was like, that's, that's 50 at least. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. But the shots you can get when you start, you know, employing those tools are crazy. It really felt like there was a moment where I was like, we have six people at sunset you know, one or, and I was like, is this stupid? <laughs> this feels really dumb. But yeah, I really, I definitely thought that I would just do things simply. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't. And I was like, so annoying. I like got, I had, I had like cranes on two days and then I had like an overhead shot on another day. And then at one point to the AD, I was like, is this the biggest crane anyone's used on the show? Like, yeah, I'm like, we can never use one that's bigger. Yeah, it's a it's a weird it's a it's a it, I imagine there is a certain freeing aspect of being the showrunner and directing the finale and knowing all the things that you know about the show and just being able to kind of just throw it all at the wall and and know that it's in brand. I know for myself like you're often like okay, I want to I want to ask for this thing, but is it going to be crazy? 
you know, because you get like you get a sense of the budget yeah. when you're when you're visiting director and you kind of like ask for things. and You're like, OK, it seems like there's no money for that kind of thing. So then, mm-hmm. you know, how do we get it in another way? And it's yeah, you're often and you want to make sure you're trying to make the show mm-hmm. and not like have folks think that you're coming in and trying to do something that's not motivated by whatever the DNA of the show is. It's it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a weird life. But yeah, it seems hard. Just so you know, your episode with your hot costs were impeccable. Ah, can you, incredible. Can you, can you explain a hot cost? A hot cost is the actual cost of the episode. Mm-hmm. So you, you, there's a, pro, I don't know what it's called, like a projected cost so that they tell you what they think the episode will cost. And all of us are always like your X amount over the budget. Mm-hmm. And then you get the hot cost where you make up costs by, you know, having the hours be a little less or, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess that's it really is. It's just shorter hours. Shorter hours. Episode. Yeah. Rentals, fewer rentals. Rentals, fewer yeah. rentals. I just wanted to say like, we're all very grateful to you because I feel yeah. like your episode was like beautifully under budget and we had so many music overages that it was incredibly helpful. We had like a thank God for Pete text going around. <laughs> now you're not, probably like, I could have asked for more. I know I should have got the 50 train. No, I mean, no, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, but that's a thing too. You come into a show and you're kind of like, all right, I don't like, you know, how can I help? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, like it's not like it, you never like do it to the detriment of making a, a good episode, but you also mm-hmm. like, this is like a living, breathing production that's got, right. like, you know, it's got to do things for eight different kids, you know, mm-hmm. and like, maybe I'm not as hungry today. So my older mm-hmm. brother gets a bigger piece of chicken in episode eight or something. I don't know. Bad analogy. It's definitely you know. appreciated. <laughs> So let's so let's talk about season two. Like anything, sure. you know. Here we are at t- toward the, the the end, but like, what's the you know what the, the normal kind of press questions? Like, what's up in season two? And 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 I know there was a bit of a of a network pivot, kerfuffle, um, kerfuffle. So where kerfuffle. were we watching it? You know, all that good stuff. Yes, we found out on the tech scout for the finale that we were being written down by HBO Max. But in that same conversation, they did tell me about Star's interest along with a couple of other places. So it was it was just a crazy season in terms of like everything that could go wrong did. Like everyone's grandma died. Like mm-hmm. head injuries. Like Elizabeth Perkins, like an extra stepped on her foot in a stiletto. It like flew up. It was so big. Mm. It was crazy. And then she like wouldn't go to the hospital. She insisted on finishing mm. COVID, flu, car accident. So I was like, okay, <laughs> this yeah. seems right. So it'll be on stars. And I don't know the release date yet, but season one is being put up on stars in about 10 days. Awesome. Um, season two is, you know, we really didn't want to just do the same thing that we did in season one, you know, where it was like scrappy underdogs against the world. We felt like we had kind of done that season. So season two is really, you know, about ambition and what happens to the magazine when they get some success and how the relationships are kind of reshuffled and how, you know, these people who kind of got used to being pretty underestimated, that was kind of their identity in the world, how they respond to this change in circumstance. Awesome. Anything else you would share about it? Who were who were the directors for this season? Max Winkler, Rachel Lee Goldenberg. And she did the pilot. pilot. Yeah. She did the pilot and then three other episodes. Fernando Frias, who this directed two. Anna. Our first AD, Anna, directed our first episode of TV, and it was great. It was that was so awesome, good. too. She was my AD. She was, she was, she was that's great right. to work she did, with. She did. She was my AD. And yeah, she's great. Isn't she so good? Yeah. And I, we talked, and I was like, it's really, it's really, it says a lot about the show that you guys, like, for a first episode of a show to be a show of, of, of this scope yeah. um, is really 
amazing because it'll also help. It'll be a tremendous help for her if she's interested in doing it more down the road to have done a show mm-hmm. like Minx. Yeah, it. W- I mean, I definitely, as the first time director of Minx, I was like, this is not a good thing to direct as your first show. You know, like there's so many extras and so many sets. It's like really a lot. But no, she did great. And she had all these dance sequences that, uh-huh. you know, it just really worked out. And Sherry Appleby, yep. who directed, who's a friend of mine. It was actually my first experience hiring a friend to direct. And it was, ah, yeah, because, you know. That's that cool. Means, so you guys I mean, go back beyond, about, beyond yeah. uh, for a while. That's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, like, it's weird to hire a friend because it can go wrong. But in this case, it went so right. It was so much fun. It was so great having her there. Did I forget anyone? I think that's it. I think that's it. I think that's it. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I have a few, I call it rounding third base. I have a couple questions that bring us home that I like to ask everyone. What would you say to your younger self, you know, as that younger self is embarking on a career in this industry that would be colored by what you know now? I would tell myself to get into TV faster. Mm -hmm. And I would tell myself to direct something faster because I feel like both of those things are just so much more satisfying than, you Mm know, kind of being like a second-class citizen in features, which I think a writer is. So many writers talk about that. Like Script Notes is one of my favorite podcasts. And Mm -hmm. and Craig Mazin talks about that all the time of like, you know, just the 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 reality or the idea of like the like the writer is like always a guest on a feature Mm -hmm. set. Like, you know, there's like no home for them. It's like, oh, the writer is coming tomorrow. And and the interpretation, like what you're saying, some having a different interpretation of what you what you put on the page. Yeah, it's unfortunate. It, it doesn't, I mean, somebody has to be in charge. So I guess we just chose the director to be in charge in features, which sometimes mm-hmm. is great and sometimes isn't. But yeah, I do feel like writers should be more involved on feature sets. But yes, that's the advice I would give my younger self. So, there, so there's that. Um, what three traits do you think are required to make it in this industry? Oh my God. Right now, probably a rich stash. (laughs) (laughs) I think you have to have very thick skin. Is that, you know, I think that you have to be able to, I mean, that's the same thing, but like you really need to be able to accept criticism and not take things personally. You know, I think you have to have perseverance and just kind of keep going, you know, when things go wrong. And I think you really have to have a sense of humor, you know, because I mean, it's a terrible industry, but it's also a wonderful industry and it's ridiculous. You know, you just have to, you have to be amused by the craziness of it. Otherwise, what are you doing? Yeah. Go be, go be, a doctor and some guaranteed income. Yeah. Well, I think the last few months of like the story you just mentioned with the renewal stars HBO thing is like the three qualities you're talking about, <laughs> you know, get you through that with, with panache. So <laughs> it is the way it is the way. All right. Anything I haven't asked you that you want to answer or add not about me. How do you have time to do all your podcasts? You're so busy. This is the, you know, the well, it's a rare window of not working, like six weeks, because I was I was gone for 30 days and I was just watching my daughter get bigger on FaceTime. And I was uh-huh. like, oh boy, this is not 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 cool. And then, but you know, it's kind of like I just try and carve out the time. Sometimes they're on weekends, you know, sometimes they're 8 a.m. in the morning, but 
it's really it's really awesome to get to talk to different folks and learn more about them. Like we've never talked this much in the duration of the episode. No. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's cool to kind of like, you know, learn from other folks like you and, and it keeps me inspired. So I kind of make it a priority. It's like, That's it's like creative food. And you wrote a book. And I wrote a book. So, you know. I'm so impressed by your time management skills because you also work all the time and you have a baby. Yeah, it's been, I'm, I'm OCD a little bit on, on segmenting things in my life so I can devote little chunks of time over long units to get to like completing it. If you were not such a nice guy, I would feel so bad about myself <laughs> just <laughs> with everything that you do. Well, you know, I'm just, I, I, I'm just trying to have, uh, I don't know, trying to keep, I'm trying to keep, because I, I agree with the three qualities that you just said. And I feel like doing these things help me keep a thick skin and help mm-hmm. me remain humored, you know, because mm-hmm. it's just like talking to you. And and I remember like I, I, I sent, I probably, I, I sent you a text like, what the fuck? Because you know, I was, <laughs> I was like signing up for the rap party. Yeah, when that word came out on, and I somebody sent it to me from Deadline, and I was like, "What?" You know. So yeah, it's just like it's all like a feedback loop of of positivity to mm-hmm. find some rose colored glasses as as we go through the journey. What's next? That's my that's my last question. You, I think you said you're kind of like trying to figure that out, but do you? Yeah. Is it features TV? Like it's TV right now. I have a. I have a deal with Lionsgate, so I'm developing some stuff. I have a couple of projects that I'm not writing that I'm just the the non-writing producer on, which has been really nice, actually. It's like, well, not in like a lazy way, in a way that it's actually, it's nice to be helpful. Mm-hmm. I think like sometimes it's easy easier to see things more clearly when you're not the one writing it and be like, oh, if we just did this, move this over here, like... It, it it feels like a, a nice use of a part of my brain. And I'm just like playing around with a bunch of different stuff and trying to figure out what the next thing I'm going to write is. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for joining the podcast, Ellen. And my apologies. This is a public apology now. I, w- I was late to the podcast. So <laughs> not a good look, but I, I apologize for that. Thanks for it's being here. fine. Safe. I had tea. Totally fine. Awesome. It was nice talking to you. You too. See you soon. What's up, people? This is Pete Chapman. Follow me on Instagram and on Twitter via at Pete Chapman. Follow the pod on Facebook on our Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman official page and hit up our mailbag with questions, suggestions, or hey, donations if you're feeling like it via let's shoot with pete chapman at gmail.com and just in case you need to know how to spell it that's pete with the last name c-h-a-t-m-o-n all right thank you all for tuning in to episode 45 of let's shoot with pete chapman starring ellen rapaport next week we welcome Actress and director, Sherry Appleby. She's a wonderful talent, someone that I've kind of grabbed the the directorial baton from on a couple shows and finally had a chance to sit down and talk to her. And she's awesome. She's directed on Minx. She's directed on Unprisoned, on Grownish, And she's been an actor in so many shows that I'm sure you've seen from Waswell. Did I say Waswell? From Roswell to Seventh Heaven to life unexpected unreal so she's a she's a great talent also films as well so we will get into that next week i hope you will join us in the meantime have a great week and always stay safe spread love and keep creating